0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the
1: Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 565, and joining us is Andrew Reinhart, the CEO of Tramex Limited, before we get started, let's thank our platinum sponsor, IAQ Radio. Platinum sponsor is John Don
2: Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at
1: johndon.com. That's j-o-n-d-o-n.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors: Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C Zlotnik. At CS.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry to report that no one identified 12 as the number of World Health uh, Organization bacterial threats. Hmm. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, November 22nd, 2019. It's been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company, providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. Name the term whose definition is the measure of the opposition that an electrical circuit presents to a current when voltage is applied. Back to you, Joe.
1: Thank you, Cliff. Today's guest is Andrew Reinhardt. He's the CEO of Tramex Limited. He has uh, taught from a young age about the moisture in buildings from his father, who was the founder of Tramex, meters and uh, inventor of the first commercially successful non-destructive moisture meter for building inspection. Andrew has been fortunate over the years to have learned a great deal about moisture in buildings and building envelopes from many of the world's leading technical people in roofing, flooring, indoor air quality, water damage restoration, and pest control. And uh, they're, they're located in, the, uh, in Ireland, but uh, today Andrew is joining us from Florida, where they'll be opening a new United States division, I do believe, but we'll talk to him more about that. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
3: Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Great
1: to have you on board. I, I guess real quick, um, I mentioned in your intro that you were opening is it a united states division
3: yeah we we've always we've always worked in the united states it's always been our main market for our meters um but we're opening directly in the united states so we've always worked with well i say always for many years we worked with agents in the united states and we've found that if we work directly here we can uh, do things in more in the way that suits uh tramex meters and uh We hope we will be bringing a lot more uh, technical support and a lot more um, service to our customers. So that's the intention. Has Uh, the U.S. always been a big market for Tramex? Yeah, very much. Uh, Tramex has always made moisture meters for the United States market. So being an Irish company, um, there's a, a very strong connection between Ireland and the United States that goes both ways. And so we've always made meters for the United States market. So there's a history and a reason why that, that is the case. But, um, you know.
1: And you, you do your manufacturing. I'm sorry. You do your manufacturing in Ireland.
3: We do, yes. Yeah, we make. Fantastic. Our... John, is that
1: volume good? A little... Seems a little low, Andrew. Maybe if you can get a little closer, we'll... we'll uh... About yep. or, or just speak up a little. I think we'll be okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, what problem inspired the original. Your father was the founder and the inventor, I guess, of uh, the first, you know, uh, non-invasive moisture meter. What what problem kind of inspired that?
3: Well, he came to the United States actually to buy a nuclear detector for uh, detecting moisture in in roofing for um a business that he he was running and it was it it was very very difficult to buy the meter it was very very difficult to use it and uh, you needed licensing and everything to be able to use the nuclear meter so he saw an opportunity and uh for you know for developing meters for the united states so out of you know, out of nothing, really, he developed the first non-invasive moisture meters for building inspection. Mm. And so that was, that's the short version of the history. But he came back to, to, to Ireland and Trinity College in Dublin and worked with professors there to develop the deck scanner, which is a big flat roofing moisture meter, and then went on from that to develop a range of handheld meters for different building materials, including concrete and drywall. and Uh, other meters so he came at it in a very unique way in a very different way and which nowadays is sort of understood amongst more more people there are more meters there are more non-invasive meters on the market but there's still unique parts of our offering that others don't fully understand which which is nice Hmm.
0: hey joe i hate hate to interrupt but uh, when i uh, You know, I was privileged to to be at the Tramex event, and they actually had uh, a roofing expert from Florida who was there and talked about uh, this nuclear meter, and it was just crazy. I think Andrew really understated the issues with it. Uh, I I think when they use it in a building, the building has to be evacuated when, when they use it, and you have to have a license that you carry in your truck and you can't drive state by state in the United States without showing this license. And, you know, in today with, uh, you know, all this anti-terrorism stuff or whatever, I mean, it would be absolutely crazy. uh, You know, all the attention uh, that you would get, but it was just, you know, when you think about nuclear meter, you know, we don't think it's such a big deal. It really is a big deal.
3: Uh, Yeah. Huge issue. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, well, I think it's something we're we're very proud of is that we we made a contribution to a number of industries in the United States. So, I I, um, I know even in the water damage industry, uh, we we made a contribution in the way that buildings are tested. And um, I was speaking a couple of years ago at the at the IICRC convention and. Mm-hmm. I was very proud that Peter Pete Kinsigli, um introduced me and introduced Tramex as a company that changed the way that we, we test buildings. And I thought that was something that I took back to my father and he was I was really happy to be able to say it to him because, you know, it is something we are proud of. We are a small company and we've done more than our size in terms of our um, input in the industry. Right. So.
1: Well, Andrew, let's, let's talk a little bit about how a non-destructive meter works, and then maybe if you could talk a little bit about how uh, there have been improvements in these non-destructive meters over the years.
3: Yeah, um, well, there's two ways, two main ways that non-destructive meters work, and I'm basing this on ASTM's publications, so I'm using their descriptions so they they talk about a, a signal loss meter and a capacitance meter. I guess are the two main distinctions. So uh, signal loss means you have one electrode and the signal from the electrode goes into the material, and, and you it, you measure how much of that power is lost because of the presence of moisture and other conductive materials. The R meters are based on it, it, what. Technically, is called impedance, which means it's, a com- it's like a combination of capacitance and resistance. And that's a bit technical probably, but basically there's, it's sending a signal from one electrode and it's picking it up in the other electrode and it's an alternating current. So it creates a field, an electrical field, and it means that we can control the depth of the signal. And, and that's what would distinguish, I guess, the Tramex non-destructive moisture meters from others is that we can con- control the depth of the signal. So it means when you're moisture mapping, you're comparing like with like everywhere you're testing. So it's important. It's not commonly understood, but it is important in terms of repeatability of results. And
1: were the early meters um, the signal loss type and the, and, the, and the newer ones still R meters? I mean, maybe you could talk a little more about that.
3: No, the, the, the R meters have... the. the, the principle of measuring has stayed fairly consistent uh, through the years, so we've always used that. Even the original deck scanners, the big, big roofing meters used a similar system where one electrode sends a signal and the other one receives it. And that way you're also measuring the resistance of the material. So you're measuring all the material under the footprint of the instrument. So you know the difference, I guess, if you look at the back of a moisture meter, Non-destructive moisture meter, and you see the two different electrodes and you put your hand across the two and they will uh, pick up the signal whereas if you touch one or the other they won't and that's that's really the, the, the difference so it means that if you have small pieces of of metal or you have fi- you know metal filing or something like that, it won't affect the signal unless it's, they're large enough to cross the two elect- two electrodes. I see in which case it would just jump off the scale. Yeah.
1: What other improvements have been made over the years?
3: Well, just recently we launched some new meters um, and we've upgraded, upgraded our, most, um, our biggest selling moisture meter, which is the Moisture Encounter, or the Moisture Encounter Plus was the last version of it. And we've upgraded that to the Moisture Encounter 5, the ME5. And the, the improvements are some are high tech and some are low tech. Um, the, the low tech improvement that we like the most is the is the extension bracket. So basically, we made a bracket that can clip onto the meter that allows you. We we give a selfie. I shouldn't say selfie stick. I get in trouble, but it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can use any selfie stick with it. And the one we give is 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 it, you know pretty. Good for what it is but you can get much longer ones and it means you can test roofs you can test floors without bending down all the time you can test higher up on walls and so the bracket on the bottom is is really nice and that's what we we've, we've, we've made work with millimeters and um, so you yeah, you've got a picture of it there thank you yes and what was the other improvement the other one is it's it's Bluetooth um, and Bluetooth is fairly standard these days. It's not. It's not particularly uh, special. And so there's two other improvements. So one is Bluetooth. But what we've done with Bluetooth is we've got the ability to make apps. And and we, Tramex, we've we've understood over the years. Um, that to make a successful moisture meter, it has to be able to do a lot, but it has to be really easy to use. And so our apps are very, very easy to, 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 to work with. So it allows people to document readings and, and, and record them in a a much easier way and in a much, uh, in a a more um, useful way We, we we expect and then the third update which i think is the one that's got a has a lot of implications is we've put in an extra electrode in the back now when i say electrode i mean the pads the measuring pads on the back of it and it's a much smaller electrode that allows for a a much higher frequency signal which gives a shallow depth reading so it only reads a quarter inch into wood and into other things so it's really good for measuring um flooring that's already in place where you don't want to measure the concrete subfloor or you don't want to measure the, what's beneath it. It's really good for testing drywall where y- you know if you use a non-destructive meter on drywall, whenever you hit the frame at the back, it will, it will register. There's the frame mm-hmm. as well as the drywall. On, on the shallow depth uh, scale on the new meter, it, it won't. It, it, it will just measure only the drywall. And the last place that I can think of, there's a few actually, but another one is, is um, baseboard. It's really good for measuring baseboard. And carpet, when you have water damage or moist water in carpet and you want to see is it drying out without measuring what's underneath it, it works great for that. So there's a whole bunch of applications. Um, you know,
1: John has a uh, a graphic up of the Tramex i uh, moisture encounter here and, and i notice it has uh wood and timber setting uh shallow depth drywall plaster tile masonry i wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the um, mistakes that people make when when using a, a non pen uh a, a, a moisture a meter such as the moisture encounter
3: yeah sure yeah that that's great and um... So a lot of using these meters actually comes down to proper training, and and that's the part that is so important in in in, a, in using a meter like this because um, when you when you've got a meter that reads about an inch and a half into the material that you're testing, in most cases you're testing more than one material. So you're testing uh, the, the the plasterboard with what's behind it, or you're testing a wood floor with what's underneath it or you're testing tiles with whatever is behind it. So you're actually getting a reading from a a combination of different materials. And and at that point, it's the moisture mapping that becomes much, much more important, which means you're comparing the water-damaged area with a dry standard, and you're trying to dry that back to its original condition. And that is key. Whereas if somebody takes it and says, oh, this is a measurement of 20% moisture content, and they're not measuring a single material, it, it, it's not going to give you that moisture content uh, reading. So even when you're setting it up, the best scale to use is the one that works well for the materials that you're testing. So it, it could be that the wood scale is useful um, on, on a plasterboard because there's, there's a, a, a harder material behind it or there's wood behind it. Or it could be that the uh, drywall scale is better when there's nothing behind it. So you would choose the scale based on on, um, finding a dry standard if you can. And if you can't find a dry standard, then you do a destructive test in order to identify which scale to use. And then you're using the non-destructive meter to map out the moisture condition based on the initial assessment. With the new meter, because it has the shallow depth scale, that shallow depth scale we hope will help a lot more in trying to determine which scale to use without um, without having to do destructive testing
1: so when you say destructive testing, you mean a pin type moisture meter
3: yeah, pushing pins into a material or uh, it, it could be so i'll just mention because you mentioned earlier on about the roofing um the way moisture meters are used in roofing. So it's interesting, the way moisture meters are used in roofing is very similar to the way they're used in water damage or in building infection in general. And that is they map the moisture and they measure. So the idea is to do as little as possible measurements and as much as possible mapping, as big an area of mapping with as few measurements as possible, because measurements are always going to be destructive. So you can get a you can get a basic measurement with a non destructive meter, but to get more accurate measurements, you need destructive testing, and that is that is reduced by the non by the non destructive test. I, okay. I don't know if I hope I'm making that clear, but no, I
1: think that makes sense. We you know I've always when we talk about moisture mapping, it, you you start with and oftentimes they'll start with even maybe thermal imaging to to try and find. Um, cold spots, and then to verify whether that cold spot is moisture, you might go to a non-destructive type of meter. But then, as you said, uh, if you went to a pin type meter, you would get, as I understand it, um, the best measurement. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, it's it's it, it, it's sort of accurate. The, the 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 what I would add to that, just I would add to that, is sometimes people are over-focusing on the amount of moisture. If you've got moisture issues in buildings, say there's a a leak coming into a a building or you have had a condensation issue or you've had, um, well, mostly say with moisture ingress into a building, the amount of moisture is going to depend on the weather for the last several months before you actually did the survey. So you could have a lot of moisture or less moisture depending on how, how much rain you've had. And so it's what's critical is to find out where is the moisture come from and how far has it spread. And then when you're repairing or fixing the problem, then uh, how, um, how much is it drying back to its original reading, to, to its original level? So, so you're trying to find out where has it come from, how far has it spread? And so it's the source and the extent of the moisture. So similarly, if you have a leak in a building, say you had a pipe leaking. The amount of moisture will depend on how long the pipe has been leaking. So it's not as critical as finding out where is it coming from and how far is it spread and, and how do we dry it back. And that's really the practical side. And actually that, that, that comes to, it's interesting for me because that's why Tramex has been so successful in the United States is because the way people think it's, it's over here, it's, it's really trying to get the job done trying to get it done professionally, trying to get it done right. And to do that, people are willing to think outside the box. And when you when you invent a new type of system, a new type of instrument, you need people who are willing to adapt and willing to look at new new ideas. And that was a very, very new idea because prior to that type of testing, People would always were always focusing on re- measurements, pin meter measurements, and, and sticking holes into everything they were testing. And it just seemed like a, a lot of um, damage for, for very little results.:
1: Cliff, let me let you jump in here.
0: Thanks, Joe. Um, let's talk a little bit about moisture uh, in, in concrete. Um, you know The United States, uh, you know, we tend to some parts of the country get a lot of hurricane damage. And I guess question number one, uh, does it matter if it's salt water or fresh water? Do, do they read differently or, um, you know, can you tell?
3: Yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, if if there's water coming in, uh, salt water, salt will hold more moisture in, in, in place. So... I guess with salt water, you, you have different issues, but in terms of how a, a moisture meter works, it won't change the, the reading in terms of how, how much moisture is present. What it can do is if there's salt in a, in a material, like in a wall or something like that, those salts can hold the moisture in that material, so they don't cause any problems. They just stay there. You know, the, the moisture just stays there so really uh, this is this is again the main point when you're trying to dry concrete after water damage to concrete what you're really trying to do is monitor the concrete and monitor the changes in moisture as you dry it out so sometimes people are taking responsibility for drying concrete completely and which is a very difficult responsibility to take because concrete can take 20 years to dry you know even to a completely equilibrium emc or equilibrium moisture content it can take up to 20 years to dry so and there could be there could be moisture there could be pre-loss moisture conditions within the concrete as well so and then there's variables with concrete for some some types of concrete will absorb more moisture some types of concrete will not absorb any moisture at all, even if it's under water for, for it'll, I mean, when I say won't absorb any, obviously there's some tiny amount, but there's some concrete that is so dense that it will not absorb moisture the way that others will. And so when you, when you go into a building that has had water damage on concrete, what you're doing is you're creating the conditions that for, for, for optimal drying of that concrete, and under those conditions then you are monitoring the drying you're monitoring the changes in readings and our concrete meters or, or in uh, concrete pipe moisture meters are really good for that because you're monitoring the changes in, 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 in the moisture as it dries out and when it stops drying then you know you've done your job really you can't you can't be expected to dry concrete back to um drying some sort of drying goal if there's a pre-loss moisture condition in the concrete so the way i see it is if the moisture goes into the concrete is going to come out again as well at the similar rate so you Andrew
1: how how is a typical um, non-destructive moisture meter that's kind of a multi-use type of meter versus a concrete specific type like the, the moisture encounter plus what's the difference um, in the technology there?
3: Yeah. So there's a, there's a few little bits in the concrete meter that I'm, I'm reluctant to talk too much about because there's a lot of, co- you know, copying that happens in, in our right. industries unfortunately. Okay. But, but there's a few things when you're testing concrete, um, you the, the the way the electrodes are set up on those meters, it allows for a measurement of concrete of moisture in concrete, and that's something that is unusual. And unless people copy it or something, but it's it's unusual to be able to measure moisture in concrete with a moisture meter. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, so there's an ASTM publication which describes the process, and it it explains that the um, dielectric constant of water is about 80 times that of all the materials that are in concrete. So when they're dry, you know, when there's no water in them. So if you think of that, you can actually get a really good measurement of the moisture content, but it's quite difficult to do because the surface of concrete, if it's polished, will generally give a different reading to a moisture meter than if it's um, being abraded or being scraped, down. Um, and there's other variables in concrete. The concrete is usually a little bit uneven when you're testing it. So there's different things that you need to do to get an actual moisture content measurement. And um, I know that there was a the the in there's been international studies done on different meters for measuring moisture and concrete. And there are meters that claim to be concrete meters that don't measure moisture at all. And there are meters like ours, I think, which gives a measurement of the moisture content. Um, whereas our, our, our normal moisture encounter won't give a measurement of the moisture in concrete, but it will give you a comparative uh, condition of the same concrete. It, when you go from concrete to diff- different types of concrete, that can be varied. And that's something we've overcome to a great degree with the concrete meter.
1: What about the depth? You, you talked earlier about, the, you know, adjusting the depth of the measurement. What's the um, optimum depth for, for measuring moisture with a non-penetrating meter in, in concrete?
3: Yeah, okay, that, that is something I w- I'll talk about. The, the concrete meter is designed to measure three-quarters of an inch into the concrete. And, you know, where we have meters, like I think you've used our roof and wall scanner, which will read up to four inches into material. So, mm-hmm. That that three quarter inch measurement is designed because in concrete generally you don't want to be measuring the what's the rebars the rebar the right word? rebar like yes right. yeah rebar so you don't want to pick up rebar you don't want to um, and there's other other reasons why that three quarter inch reading is optimal because that 's where your floor is going, you know some sometimes people call our concrete meter a surface meter, but it 's not a surface meter it It reads quite deep into the material and when you are putting down a floor covering it 's that top three quarters of the inch that is most critical i mean it 's not you do want to know is moisture coming up from from underneath, but it 's more rare than people think but in general it 's where your floor covering is going, and you're when you put down an adhesive onto concrete. It needs, the the, the water that's in the adhesive needs to be absorbed into the concrete. So you want to make sure that there's not too high a level of moisture in the concrete so that the adhesive can be absorbed. So (laughs) that three-quarter inch is designed for that. It's designed to be optimal for concrete testing.
1: I see. Uh, I've got a situation I just, well, maybe I'll wait until after the break for that particular one. Cliff, do you have any other quick questions before the break?
0: not quick so let's let's do it
1: half time all right let's do it half time we'll come back we've got Andrew Reinhardt we're talking measuring and uh, detecting moisture um, the, the CEO of Tramex Limited Thank IAP you Radio
2: Platinum sponsor is John Don Products where restoration and abatement contractor shop visit them at johndon.com that's j o n d o n.com
1: CIRI, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at SiriScience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Andrew Reinhart, the CEO of Tramex Limited. And Cliff, I think I'll turn it over to you. You said you had a, a question or two that might take a little longer here. so Yeah,
0: I, I, well, I, I do. I, I think the first would be I would like you, Andrew, if you could, to clarify uh, any myths uh, regarding moisture and concrete, because I'm sure that there are things that are true, and I think that there are things that potentially people – think that are true, so if, if there's some common myths that you can uh, clear up, uh, I'd like you to do that.
3: Yeah, it, it, thanks, Cliff. Um, I like your hat, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's autographed. autograph, but it was by your brother. <laughs> um, yeah, it, in concrete, um, there's, there's a, 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 a misconception that when you measure the vapor in concrete, which is the RH of concrete, that it gives you a full spectrum measurement of moisture within concrete, and 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 it, so that might sound a bit technical. So I'll 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 just explain the ASTM F2170 standard for measuring moisture in concrete means you put an RH probe into the concrete, and and we we're one of the manufacturers who make equipment for doing that test. And um, it's, a, it's actually a really good test for, for signing off that concrete is completely dry, but it, it doesn't measure the, the high end of moisture content in, in concrete. So when the moisture content in concrete gets to about four and a half or 5% by weight, at that point, the humidity within the concrete saturates. So if you get a hundred percent RH, in concrete, it doesn't mean that the concrete is saturated. It just means that the humidity is saturated. So the concrete could saturate at 6.5% moisture content, and the humidity could saturate at 45 uh, or 5% moisture content, depending on the quality of the concrete. And so one of the big myths out there is that you know you have... Companies who are selling products and saying they will go to 100% RH and people make the assumption that means it doesn't matter how much moisture is in the concrete because it goes to 100%. And that's a, that's a big problem because even the best quality adhesive, if it has nowhere to absorb, if the, if the water from it has nowhere to absorb, it will remain emulsified and it, it would be like leaving it in the tin. You know, it needs, concrete needs to be dry drier than saturated for any adhesive. So that's one one point. I mean, when I say any, I, I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but they are very few, I, I'll put it that way. Um, the other myth is that, well, I wouldn't say myth, but the other problem with concrete testing using humidity is you're measuring something that's very sensitive. It's very sensitive to temperature change. Like if, for, for anyone who understands, and I know in indoor air quality, people really understand psychrometrics, very well, more than probably on the other industry. So you will understand that when you measure the humidity within the concrete, you have to be very careful about temperature um, of the concrete so that you're not uh, adjusting it. And one of the issues is there are probes that are sold for measuring moisture in concrete where you drill a hole and then you stick the probe straight in and you leave the probe in the concrete. And that does not comply to ASTMF if, 2170. If anyone doesn't understand that, then they should read the procedure of F2170. And the procedure is that you drill a hole and you insert a sleeve and then you wait 24 hours and then you insert a probe. And that is there, that, that initial 24 hour waiting period is to, so that the heat from drilling the probe dissipates completely. And the, and when you push away the moisture from drilling the probe, it, 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 it doesn't come back. So by placing a probe in very quickly after drilling, you will get an elevated reading, which is um, which is not the measurement that you're trying to, to to get. So you're not measuring the equilibrium relative humidity. You end up measuring an elevated relative humidity number, and that's particularly bad for the drying industry because you are trying to use that data then to, to to see if the concrete is dry, and it's telling you it's higher than it is, hmm. um, because it's not done according to the standard. So, Understood. Yeah. C- can you explain? Um,
0: the well, I guess the kit that you have that looks at concrete five different ways, in, in order to come up with with the conclusion, and yeah. I, I think the uh, listeners would be very interested in learning about that.
3: Yeah. So, so that's um, that. That especially for for the water damage industry and the indoor air quality industry, it's it's interesting. It doesn't quite. It's not that it looks at concrete five different ways. It looks at different aspects of moisture in in the building related to concrete so the first is the non-destructive test measuring the moisture content of the concrete which is an instant test and you just push the meter down onto the concrete and it gives you a measurement the second is that you measure the humidity in the concrete according to astm 2170 and that's a drill in test that you insert the rh probe into the concrete and it measures the vapor within the concrete. And then the, the next is to measure the ambient conditions. So you're measuring the humidity and the temperature in the environment where the, where the concrete is going in, into. And what people don't understand, and actually what I think is really, really interesting for the water damage industry um, in general, is that people talk about mitigating concrete. And especially with new concrete, most of the issues of moisture that are in the concrete come from the air, not the concrete itself. So, you know, you have concrete because it's drying. As you understand, moisture is coming out of the concrete. The vapors coming out of the concrete. And so it's cooler. The surface of the concrete is generally one degree or, or one and a half degrees cooler than the surface of other materials within the building. And so it's prone to dew point issues. So if, if you're... Uh, putting down adhesive to install a floor, and you hit a dew point issue or close to a dew point issue, you'll find that 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 adhesive doesn't properly cure, and that's a, a major cause of problems that people associate, and they assume that it's coming from the concrete. So the 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 reaction is people are spending a lot of money on mitigating new concrete, but by, by putting sealers on on top of it. And um, really what they should be doing is mitigating the air. And and the water damage business has all the equipment to mitigate the air. So, and if you look at, I mean, I I don't need to mention him without his permission, but uh, Mickey Lee, for example, did a really good study on all the different methods from uh, all the different variables for optimally drying concrete. And it's not what people think. You don't put too much heat. You don't put too much air movement. It's, it's, it's a, a small amount, the right amount of heat, the right amount of air movement, the right amount of dehumidification, and then allow it to dry effectively. And that's, um, that's where basically the water damage business could help the flooring industry very much by providing the equipment to mitigate the air during the installation of a floor. And that would solve a huge amount of problems that are there. So I, I know it's a big subject and I probably just run over it, but um, I don't know if that makes sense. So, so, so the third test is testing the air where the concrete is going and the, and the surface temperature of the concrete is another one. And then there's another test which we're working on, which we hope to talk about very soon, but they're all simple. It's not, it's not like you're, you're having to do a lot of testing. You can actually do an awful lot less. You can get a lot more information with a lot less time if you combine three of those tests. Which is the air condition, the concrete moisture condition, and the vapor within the concrete. If you have all of those three, you can you can get a hell of a lot more information in a really short, in a much much shorter time. And um, so, anyway, speaking a bit strongly now, about that,
1: that kind of leads to a question I've had from uh, a a customer uh, that, that they've had problems with um, moisture under walk-off mats so as you come into the school they'll have a walk-off mat there with a rubber backing and and some you know carpet on top of that for the kids to wipe their feet and they get moisture underneath these walk-off mats and I've I've tried to several ways to explain what was going on there and without you know being in the building and talking to them I I suspect it's just a dew point issue and that the, the carpet is um, allowing that concrete to go uh, below dew point, the temperature, and then they get condensation. But they've got them drilling holes in the concrete and trying to find moisture coming up through the concrete. And I'm wondering if you've uh, run into that situation before and if you have any simple advice for them on how to show their energy management people that it's, not, it's the air, it's not the concrete.
3: Can I ask what damage it's causing? So so in other words, they lift up the rubber mat and they're seeing moisture underneath it. That's correct. And, and then the- there's
1: some mold on the backside of the mat because of the moisture. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's an argument, I think, between the water, ma- the energy management folks and the operations and maintenance people.
3: Yes. Yeah. You, you see, water generally travels in concrete as vapor in general. there There is sometimes moisture that, um, what they call hydrostatic pressure, but it's very rare. And so I can't say that that's not the cause because it does happen, even though it's quite rare. But in general, it's, I guess, the best way to describe it is interstitial condensation. In other words, that you get humidity saturation near the top of the concrete, which is then coming out as vapor or, or, and then turning to the condensation on the backside of the, of the mat. So yep. it could be water. It, it could possibly be water coming up, but it's unlikely and it's more likely that it's vapor coming out of the concrete. That is,
0: hey, Joe, yeah. I, I've got a suggestion that, Go that, that, they may, <laughs> that they may want to look at um, as well. You know, because this is right at the entrance of the school, uh, most likely, they're shoveling the snow there, and most likely, they're putting ice melt down there. And what happens with calcium chloride is uh, it doesn't really dry. You know, it stays sticky, and it attracts moisture. So if you have calcium chloride that gets underneath that, um, you know, that matting in liquid form, uh, and then it's going to kind of turn to a brine, and it's going to it's going to pull you know, it's going to attract vapor. So, um, yeah, they may want to look at they may want to look at that. But you know, I think probably the easiest thing is change the type of mat. You know, it, it seems like you know the type of matting that they have is causing the problem. Yeah,
2: it
3: yeah, needs need something that allows air to move through. It. Right, exactly. and,
2: water, and maybe... but also
3: what it surprises me when they because a lot of the time, like there is mold issues and definitely mold problems, but it needs air to grow. So if they were using rubber on top of concrete, you know, there wouldn't really be anywhere for the mold to grow um, unless I'm missing something. Um,
1: well, well, we'll talk about that later. Let's. I've got a question for Cliff. Though. Um, you recently went over and met with the Tramex people in Ireland, right. and I'm wondering if you could tell listeners uh, what you learned. That, that may have been new you've been doing moisture monitoring and moisture mapping for 40 years now, Cliff, uh, what, what, what impressed you or what did you learn from your trip to Ireland?
0: You know, it, it's kind of interesting because you know, while I was there, they, they asked me to, to do a presentation. And what I did is kind of track the history uh, of water damage from the beginning and, and, and to the present and, um, you know, there were a lot of admissions about how little we knew in the water restoration business. You know, we would walk around with, you know, a moisture probe that, you know, Lloyd Weaver identified and it would beep. And uh, that was our <laughs> first, you know, that was our first moisture tracking. Is it wet? Is it dry? And, you know, it was a hell of a sales tool and, uh, you know, it worked really well. But, you know, I, I think to me, um you know i i think over the course of my career for the for the most part i've been a generalist although i've you know specialized knowledge in a couple of areas i think most people that are in disaster restoration tend to be generalists and you know at that event I, you know i just met people that were literally world authorities like bob higgins you know we're going to talk about him and you know he's literally a world authority on concrete and moisture in concrete and solving moisture coming through concrete uh you know mickey lee uh did you know did a great presentation uh you know as um as the entry said um i'm trying to think who else um
1: while you're thinking, we have Bob Higgins scheduled for two weeks from today. We'll have him on. We'll talk more about uh, moisture. And I'd, I'd also like, if we could, to get Mickey's, that article that uh, Andrew mentioned from Mickey in the blog, if possible, the uh, the right. research.
0: Right. And we had, um, let's see. Um, it was just so it was just- t- so target specific you know there's a presentation you know by a roofing expert and you know moisture problems in roofs and why you have them uh, it, you know they, they have roofs in Florida that have literally the roofs are pretty much all covered by air conditioning units because every condo uh condo in the building has a condenser you know that's up on the roof and trying to figure out you know where the water problems are
1: um and now you have uh, photovoltaics up there as well, which are going to be making things tougher for the roofers.
0: Right. Um, just you know, you just kept your eyes open and your ears open, and you know the networking was great. I, I mean, it was you know, in, in all the years, I, I I I think it was probably my favorite event. I think I really do.
1: Fantastic. well andrew what what did you learn or what did you find interesting about that me- recent meeting there
3: yeah th- th- thanks for asking I, I um that was i have to agree it was my favorite event i think we was, i've ever been to it as well as the fact that we put it on it was mm-hmm. fantastic but it basically what we what we've found over the years is that in all the industries that we serve there are st- experts, real experts who really want to understand uh, building, moisture in building because of all the problems that you have with buildings around the world. It's moisture is the one thing that sort of causes so many issues. And so there we've identified over the years a whole group of people who really want to understand moisture building. And there's information from each industry that's applicable to the other industries that we serving so we've recorded a lot of these talks and we have a lot of this information and you know we, we've actually i believe from this we've got we, we've got a synergy together that will change the way on a lot of ways that people understand moisture testing and understand how to get the results that are needed and i'm still very very excited about it it's it's early days as we as we use that information and apply but we had, as Cliff said, I mean, Cliff's talk was great. It was, it was really good. But it was also his presence there was, was fantastic. And that part of it was the, the synergy. Uh, Pete Consigli, he, he, you know, as he does, he brought everything together. He, 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 um, he's been a big part of our, our history over the years in that he trained people in the early days how to use the meters. And that has stood the test of time. Um, I think now we need to reinvigorate the training and how meters are, are correctly used. Um, and I think that this, this symposium that we did will go a long way to doing that. Uh, John Hall, who, who you mentioned was talking about roofing and how to do uh, roof surveys. And that got to the whole point of how the moisture mapping and, and, and measuring, and that, that actually originated in the roofing industry. People don't realize that it originated in the roofing industry. So they, they 'll do a moisture map using a, a deck scanner, and then they 'll do an initial temperature survey of using infrared so it 's a surface temperature survey then they 'll follow it with a moisture map using the uh, one of the, one of our moisture meters and then uh, they will do the measurements which is drilling holes and taking core samples or doing uh, even sometimes resistance pin pin type readings. And so that that can be applied in everywhere everywhere else. And then uh, Lou Harriman. Lou Harriman, yeah, he tagged yeah, him with he did Mickey. A fantastic talk on psychrometrics. and um, and then uh, and Howard Brinkman was there talking about. Oh the yes, yeah. Howard's, his, we're going to we're going to get him too. Yeah, we'll his knowledge on wood him. is just fantastic, and wood flooring and everything else, and it's infectious, you know. Right. <laughs> well,
1: and let's. That's um, I got a couple more quick technical questions before we run out of time. And one is on, um, what is a wood moisture equivalent? I mean, I I see that term thrown around a lot and I'd like to have one of the top, uh, moisture meter guys in the world. Tell us what the heck is a wood moisture equivalent.
3: Yeah. Well, actually wood moisture people don't realize this, but wood moisture equivalent has its history even before moisture meters were ever made. And, and, a, I, I traced it back one time to the London Underground um, <laughs> when, they, when they used to test the moisture in, in the London Underground in the concrete they would drill into the, into the, into the, into the concrete mm-hmm. and then insert a piece of wood like a dowel into the oh. hole and they would leave it there I think for two weeks as far as I know it would take two weeks for it to completely equal, equalize with the moisture and then they would do a gravimetric test on the wood. Now gravimetric is just um, weighing the wood and then putting it into an oven and drying it out completely and then reweighing it. So it's like an absolute measurement. <laughs> and so they would, so it would be basically the amount of moisture in the material which is equalized in wood. So you're, you're getting a scale of wood, not a scale of the material that you're testing. And over the years, it was adapted into using pin meters. So it was. Um, Basically, you, you take a wood meter and you stick it into another material and it would call, they would give it, call it a wood moisture equivalent reading. Now, if you get technically into it, that's not really a measurement of moisture. It's, it's a comparative reading. And all pin meter readings are also comparative readings. But, but because they read a much, much smaller sample size, they are closer to a measurement. But they're not quite a measurement. They're still a comparative reading but if you do the original moisture wood moisture equivalent that was a that was a truly a measurement of moisture content and um, and again you have to ask the question why do we need that but when you do it's it's a, it's possible to do it that way
1: okay um, cliff did you have anything you wanted to follow up on with that i
0: didn't but i i i i like the terminology of you know reading you know comparative reading i i think that um i learned something you know uh I think it's different than a measurement. I think it's good.
1: Okay. Um, and there's another a, another uh, way that, you know, we've had the people from Decagon on and, and others, and they're looking at um, water activity and, and whether or not that might be a better way of determining, um, you know, what type of conditions exist for with at least with respect to microbial growth i'm wondering if your group's doing anything on that or if you've experimented with that at all or what your thoughts are in general on, on measuring water activity
3: well i i would i would sort of question i i would like to look into that in a little more detail but uh, you know the moisture in the air um it, is the science of moisture in the air is psychrometrics. And when you start to look at psychrometrics, you can look at dew point, you can look at at absolute or, or, you know, specific humidity. You can look at relative humidity and you can look at, um, you know, the wet bulb versus dry bulb. There's there's different ways to describe the same thing. So how they, how, when that moisture in the air, how that, interacts with the material is moisture content and so when you talk about water activity I I, I get the impression it's like how the, the surface of something is how close it is to dew point or how close it is to condensation appearing there um, and the closer you get to that condensation the more likely you are to have mold growing in that in that, uh, in, in, in that material or on that material but what will feed that what will feed that water activity will be the amount of moisture in the material the amount of moisture in the air the temperature of the material and um, and yeah and, and that's how close you are to dew point so there are different ways of describing the same thing and there and sometimes the ideas people argue over describing it one way versus another like people want to sometimes talk about vapor pressure differential so the problem with vapor pressure is that sometimes people mix it up with atmospheric pressure, and they think there's something different. But we're, what we're talking about is, you know, moisture basically equalizes within a within a, a, a you know, in, in your in science, you know, that moisture, everything in nature finds balance. And, and actually, to be honest, <laughs> you know, you can learn a lot about you can you can become quite spiritual in, if you study moisture in. in, in, in <laughs> to a degree, because it's quite, it's quite amazing. You know, every, everything equalizes. Um, and therefore, that's how they use RH to measure the moisture in concrete, because they're measuring the humidity compared to the moisture content. So there's an assumption that if the moisture content is higher, the humidity above it will be higher. So it's, it, you can see that if you go to an area where there's a lot of lakes around, you'll see that the relative humidity in the air will be much higher than if you go to a place where there's there's no lakes around. So in Florida, where we are now, there's a lot of humidity in the air. So the relative humidity would be the same as it is, say, in Chicago, where there's a a lake, because the the water on the ground is high, and so the relative humidity is high, but the absolute humidity or specific humidity will be very high in Florida, but very low in Chicago. So whether you use relative humidity to describe something, or you use specific humidity or dew point, or it just depends on what information you need for the application you're working on. But it's the same information, it's not different, it's just it's just called different ways, the completely the way it's described. So, you know, to give you an example, in the water damage business, the relative humidity is usually not important, because you're interested in drying, you're trying to get water out of the building, so you're looking at how much moisture you're getting out of the building when you're drying it you're not interested in the relative humidity, but the relative humidity will tell you how much the material that's in equilibrium with it will have moisture. So, so therefore, it's useful if you're trying to understand whether the, the EMC or the moisture content is, is, is in balance with the air, then your relative humidity becomes much more important. So for, and because some meters just give relative humidity and that's all they give, then people overuse it but there are some and and therefore there's a rejection of it a lot of people say oh relative humidity is useless it's it's pointless but it's very important when you're trying to see the water activity because you're trying to see the how the moisture in the material is reacting with the air and that's where your relative humidity will tell you that much more so anyway it's a, it's a it's a the big discussion but it's i i I like it and and that's where i thought we got so much out of this symposium that we did because we were able to bring experts who would normally not meet uh together and and the the link is with the tramex meters you know and 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 that i think we really made some 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 real progress once we can just assimilate that knowledge and share it i think we made some really good progress you know.
1: You know, we're, we're running a little low on time here, but I, I, I'd like to get your comments on um, differences in measuring moisture content in concrete versus, say, cinder block versus uh, you know, other similar products, stone, etc. Are there major differences with respect to how you measure in those different materials, um, or is it all going to go back to what you've been saying here throughout the day?
3: Yeah, well, you, what you it does come back to the point—is that what, how much moisture is in that material at equilibrium with the air? So, so in wood, for example, there have been studies done on that, and they're very clear studies. So, if you look in, for example, um, Denver, Colorado, wood that's in equilibrium could be at six percent or, or, you know, moisture content, whereas wood in Florida could be at twelve percent moisture content. So similarly with other materials, it depends on how close they are to equilibrium with the air and concrete. is interesting like that because in concrete, the differences are much smaller because density is much greater. So you could have concrete that will be dry, completely dry in Denver, Colorado at 2% or, 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 or and you could have concrete that's completely dry in Florida at 3%, you, you know, um, so, so you need to know what that equilibrium is. Similarly with other materials, do they, have, do they have moisture in them naturally? Like stone will have moisture in it naturally. Most materials will except plastics and unnatural materials, but any natural material will have moisture in it or else it's not. You know, it would just be powder effectively. So um, stone would be more dense than concrete, so it would have less moisture but it would still like have half a percent by weight moisture content. And so the ultimate way to measure is to take an oven and weigh something and then leave it in the oven for however many weeks to completely dry it out Mm -hmm. and then reweigh it. And then you'll get that. Eventually you'll find that moisture content.
1: It's just the time factor when you're dealing with that. And that's what you're, that's what these moisture meters are helping with is, is um, eliminating that time factor, or at least reducing it a great deal. Cliff, before we go, any final questions? I hope I'm good. Thanks. I'd like to ask one final question, Andrew, um, and that would be just is there anything we missed that you'd like to add? Um, any final comments from you?
3: Um, no. Oh, oh yeah. Just, just one thing I will, I will say, and I, I, I don't want it's, to – it's important when, when you're using moisture meters, it's important to work with – Moisture meters, as mu- as much as is possible. I mean, when you make things right, they're they're more expensive than when you make them wrong. In some cases, you know. Um, but it's important to understand the history of what the product is, and it, because you get a lot of imitation products out there, and if you're doing something DIY, that's one thing, you know, you, 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 sometimes you just, you just work to what your budget can afford. But if you're a professional and you're doing a professional job, you should use equipment that is basically adding, in my view, is adding to the the knowledge of, 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 of what you're doing, you know, and there are, there are companies, I, I, you know, not just Tramex, but there's say Delmhurst, Tramex and other companies out there that have, contributed a lot over the years and um continue to do so in into these industries and working in these industries and then you have other ones which just are just copies of, of things and and the problem with with using copies all the time is that the end, it, we will end up in a situation where a lot of the knowledge is just lost and so you know there's it, it's got to be a you've got to weigh things up you obviously want to get the best quality product you have but you often find that quality comes from passion, and so you know, it's important to 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 work. It's like in you know when people are properly certified and properly trained, they'll do a job that's different than the people who are you know, what, what we call cowboys. <laughs> You know, so anyway, that's my little gripe. Well, I think that's well said, and I think it's
1: important, and I'm, I'm glad you finished with that, Andrew. Um, this is Radio Joe Hughes thanking Andrew Reinhardt, this week's guest on IAQ Radio, the CEO of Tramex Limited out of Ireland, soon to have a U.S. base in Orlando, Florida. Uh, really appreciate having you on. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-man, Cliff Zlotnick at The Controls, John. you got to have faith. Had a nice group online live today thanking our uh, growing group of loyal listeners on IAQ Radio+. Plus. Uh, We'll be off next week, as most of you will be, for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, We're going to talk a little more on concrete with uh, Bob Higgins, so please come back and join us two weeks from today for the next episode of... IAQ Radio Plus.
0: For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed
2: saying thanks for listening.